Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Josh. Let's record a podcast. I dare you. <laughs> so, um, you know, let's skip an intro and everything. We're, we're taking a break from podcasting right now. <laughs> as you can tell. As you can hear. Uh, <laughs> but but this is a special occasion, so we wanted to to insert a podcast here, but I figured we'd have a conversation around documentaries since our, our documentary, which is called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things, which so far has uh, had the number one opening of all indie documentaries. Does it still hold that? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In, in, in 2016. Wow. We still have half a year left, so we'll see what happens uh, theatrically. I'm going to claim that title for Forever. as long as I can. Yeah, see, that that's the weird thing. Like, you can't, like, we have some friends who are New York Times best-selling authors. <laughs> right. you, you do that once, and you get to claim that title forever. Yeah. But when your documentary hits number one in theaters, that doesn't actually, I mean, unless it's like the number one grossing documentary of all time, which ours isn't even close to being close to that <laughs> uh it did really well when it opened up in theaters basically and right. and beat some other you know, pretty good indie documentaries that, that came out this year but finally it's available online and also on uh, dvd uh, we won't spend too much time trying to talk uh, a lot about that in fact at the end of this episode we can we can paste in a, a few samples from from the film uh, if you get it online, it's available only on Vimeo right now. And there's a reason, Ryan, that we, we did Vimeo only, obviously, is that we have about six hours. I, it may even be seven hours. I, I don't remember. I've watched a lot of it. Um, uh, seven hours of, of bonus content uh, from the film. They're all bonus interviews, basically. So we went out. We had a 1,000 hours of footage, and we boiled it down to a 79-minute narrative. And when I say we, I really mean Matt Diavella, our very talented director, and, of course, the, the folks over at Spire who, who helped us with uh, executive producing the film. And now we have this beautiful 79-minute film about minimalism, but there are so many other awesome interviews that dive deeper into the people who are in the film. And we wanted to share those with you. So Vimeo was the best platform for us to not just share the film, but also give you more than 20 videos, uh, six hours of, of bonus interviews. And we wanted to be able to share that with you. So you can get it on Vimeo. You can also get it on DVD. So all the details to that are over at minimalismfilm.com. And we'll leave that at that. At the end of this episode, we'll, we'll, we'll throw in some of those, those interviews from the film. But today I wanted to just talk about documentaries. And my, my viewing habits have changed quite a bit. I'm, less, I'm watching fewer traditional movies, I guess. Hmm. And um, although last night, Ryan, I went to go see the new Jason Bourne movie, which is just called Jason Bourne. And, you How know, was it? Man... Here's the thing. I used to, once a month, uh, give myself permission to go watch movies where stuff blows up and, and just sort of pacify myself for two hours. I, I give myself permission instead of just vegging out constantly. It feels, it feels good. Mm -hmm. But I haven't seen a movie like that in a while. I don't know if, if maybe I'm getting older and they just appeal less to me now. Or maybe just... You know, I haven't a Jason Statham movie hasn't come out in years. Maybe that's the problem, but I, I haven't. Um, 
I haven't seen any of these action-packed movies a lot recently. I saw Mad Max last year, and which was actually pretty good. Uh, and and <laughs> it was like good for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I felt uh, like amazing adrenaline through the, from the first scene almost through the very end of the film. Yeah. But with the Jason Bourne movie, I actually love the the, the trilogy, uh, the Robert Ludlum. Right. The, the series was based off the books. This obviously, I don't think, is based off of any book at all, and or at least not any book that Robert Ludlum wrote. I know that there was a whole series, uh, a committee of writers who took on the the Robert Ludlum series after after he died. But you know, I had nightmares all night last night. Good God! Uh, I mean, about just espionage <laughs> and <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And I don't know, like, people were getting shot because so many people get, get shot in this film. <laughs> and and I, I think growing up, you know, we watch that stuff all the time, the Terminator movies and all these action movies and the video games where people kill each other, and it's fine. You become desensitized to it. Right. I guess I'm no longer desensitized. And last night, I was just... I mean, there was just stuff blowing up. There was people with guns shooting at me. Good it grief. was... Like all of my anxieties personified into a into a dream. So it was a good movie, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so we are still taking a break from podcasting. Although uh, I'm going to talk to Sean, our our fearless producer here, about. In, we have a bunch of episodes recorded that were live shows that we haven't published yet. So over the course of the next few weeks or a few months. Uh, we're going to hopefully put a few of those into our feed. So if you're not already subscribed to to the podcast on iTunes or, or wherever you get, you get your podcasts, uh, Ryan and I both use an app called Overcast. It's just a beautiful, elegant, simple, free app. It's not free to me because I donate, uh, I think, a dollar a month to them or something like that just because I get so much value from it. But wherever you subscribe to podcasts, if you subscribe to this, you'll have some other ones show up in your feed. We also recorded a, a great episode about criticism that is just sort of sitting out there that we haven't used yet. So hopefully we'll be able to to use that as in addition to a lot of the, the live podcasts we did while we were out on tour with our film earlier this year. And so you'll, you'll find those. We're still taking a break. If you don't know why we're taking a break from podcasting, go back and listen to the last episode. It was episode 30. It's, it's called Away. And we talked about the, the value of, of walking away uh, for a while. And, and Ryan and I have been walking away for this summer from uh, overcommitments and, and obligations, really, and wanted to walk away from this podcast so we can come back to it really refreshed, which we're still in the, in the process of. But this is a special occasion with our documentary coming out online. Oh, and by the way, yes, it will be available eventually on a lot of people have been asking, is it going to be on Netflix and iTunes and, and Hulu and Amazon VHS? It's uh, not coming out. Dude, did you hear? Did you I hear did, about I, VHS? I, they made the last VCR this month. They just made the last VCR. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's... Um, I can't believe it's... How did it go out of style before Laserdisc? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's still trying to talk me into releasing the film on Laserdisc. Come on, man, it's retro. <laughs> <laughs> These kids love vinyl. <laughs> is, it, is that the movie equivalent to vinyl? I don't know. It's the same size. That's what I'm trying to talk you into. <laughs> so no, it won't be on Laserdisc or VHS, but it will be on a bunch of other platforms eventually. But but not for a while. It'll be it's online. It's on Vimeo. So uh, by the time you're hearing this, it'll actually be out already and, uh, on Vimeo with the all the bonus content. And and you can download it. You can stream it in your web browser. 
But the thing I really like about Vimeo is it's actually the most robust platform. So if you have Chromecast or Roku or an iOS device, you, you can watch a Vimeo film pretty much anywhere where you have an internet connection or you can download it and then, like, I don't have internet connection at home, but I could watch it at home. That's one of the things I really like about, about iTunes. I, I use iTunes to download a lot of movies, but with Vimeo, you can do the same thing. You can download this. You can also download the, the other 20-plus videos of, of bonus interviews. But uh, today, Ryan, I would love to talk uh, with you about... Documentaries. documentaries. All right, man. What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about our favorite documentaries? Or our least, least favorite? favorite documentaries? <laughs> do you have a least favorite? We, could, we should start there. I wasn't, least favorite documentaries? I wasn't prepared to start with least favorite documentary. Oh, my God. I don't... You know, it's funny. I couldn't tell you the least favorite documentary I've ever seen. Because even like documentaries that I'll be angry at or something afterwards, like it, I, I've always been able to learn something. I don't know. What's your least favorite documentary? I didn't have that on my list, so I'm, I'm holding in my hand right here a a envelope. This is <laughs> this is my utility. This is my water bill. Um, <laughs> but on the back of this envelope, I have written a bunch of of documentaries. I don't have least favorite documentaries in here. But when you said least favorite, for some reason, this popped into my head. The, do you remember the documentary Catfish? No, I have not seen that. Okay, well, is it is it about people catfishing other people online? Well, that's how the, that's where the term came from. That's oh, where the okay. verb came from. Catfish. Oh, okay. Yes, and eventually, I guess there was a subsequent show and and, and everything else. The documentary was actually uh-huh. pretty good. I think it may even still be a TV show. I don't know. I don't. I don't have TV, but uh, Sean uh, Sean Harding, our, our or podcast Sean, as he's known. Uh, is nodding yes that it is a TV show. He has teenage daughters, and and so uh, it was actually a good documentary. But I, for some reason, I think that term has become so vapid and ubiquitous at the same time that it has become meaningless. So it maybe I actually like the documentary. I thought it was it was pretty well done. But I, do I have a least favorite documentary? I don't know, man. I, I really don't like, know. Like, I can tell you documentaries that I've just been really angry afterwards, but it wasn't because of the documentary itself as much as, like, the storyline of the documentary or the information that the documentary uncovered where I felt, you know, I had this visceral feeling afterwards. But but I like when things make me feel. So I, I still wouldn't consider those to be, like, my least favorite. I, I, I think what you're... What I'm picking up from what you're saying is... Sometimes documentaries make you feel angry or frustrated, and in some way they're almost nihilistic. I think of Food Inc. being one of those. It's not on my list at all, which was very informative, but I do remember afterward feeling almost a little bit hopeless in a way. Yeah, And that was one of the things we wanted to avoid with our film because we interviewed some some environmentalists, And there can be a sense of of dystopian future when you talk to some of these people where there is this, not necessarily, it's almost like they've extinguished the light from, from hoping for the future because of how much carbon is in the atmosphere and, and how you know, the direction of the planet and where we're going. And I think minimalism has been a way for, for us to say, if you consume less stuff, you produce less less waste, and the the opposite has been true for especially since the eighties and nineties. We've been consuming more and more and more, and producing 
tremendous amounts of, of waste and, and, and hurting the environment. But that's not the reason you and I got into minimalism. And it's certainly not what we wanted to turn the documentary into either. Of this isn't a, a documentary about... We want to give people hope. Yeah, that, exactly. And, and you have to, you do have to be honest and you have to be, you can't be Pollyannish either. You, you need to uh, be, be, I guess, cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. Like we can make these changes in ourselves and we can affect change in other people. And it doesn't mean we're going to change the world overnight, but over the course of a generation or two, as more and more people live more intentionally, stop getting in debt and, and, and focus on you know, what's in front of them, living a meaningful life, mm-hmm. then I do feel much better about the future. And so I think there is, there's caution in our documentary, but there's also optimism and, and realizing that you don't have to change the whole world. You can change yourself, and that will change your cor- corner of, of the world. So as far as documentaries go, I have a list, and they are so different. We can just sort of walk through these. I, we haven't compared our lists yet. And, and so... I, yeah. I, it's, it's funny. There's so many good documentaries out there. Like even, to, even if we started with our favorite, like I don't know if I could tell you my favorite documentary. I can, for sure. So very top of my list, my favorite documentary of all time is Exit Through the Gift Shop. Oh, uh, the Banksy one. Yeah. That's a, it is, that is a really good one. And I'll tell yeah. you, I don't know if I've been Banksied by, by watching the documentary. And I don't want to give too much away because it is a documentary with a twist, but it is so well done. And, and I don't know if it's 100% documentary. I don't know if it is docudrama in a way. And not, not docudrama because it wasn't... It, it's, it uses all real footage, yeah. but the way that it's directed and edited together and the, the shift that happens mid-documentary, it was just amazing to me. So Exit Through the Gift Shop is definitely my... It's de- yeah, it's a good one for it, sure. It's definitely my favorite documentary. And uh, if you're into art or the art world, and many of you know who Banksy is, if you don't, you'll get to learn who he is through, through this documentary. Very talented. I guess you would call it graffiti artist or street art, I think is what... what how they refer to it, but it's not real graffiti. Ryan, when you and I were in the UK, uh, two almost two years ago now, Golly. we were in Bristol, which is where Banksy is from. No one really knows who Banksy is. Sean, have you seen? Have you seen uh, Exit to the Gift Shop? You don't think so? I would definitely recommend it. So how he's able to stay anonymous like blows my mind. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, and I they've tried. So many people have tried to out him, but so he creates beautiful street art, but with a message. Yeah. So. Uh, the one that is most staggering to me is the one of, of Jesus with his arms out as though he's on a cross mm-hmm. within their shopping bags in each hand. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, stand, I'm sitting here with my arms yeah, uh, spread out like as, as if I'm on a crucifix, but then there's shopping bags in, in each hand, and it's just this beautiful, subtle commentary. Actually, it's not that subtle, but it's somewhat subtle commentary on consumerism. Have you seen... Oh, okay. Go ahead. No, I, I think there's a quote that he wrote with that. I don't remember. Isn't that the quote where he says, um, today we don't need any more profits. We just need someone to take out the recycling. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm pretty sure that we went along with that. But Or, or, or the other, the other uh, line I saw with that is, what would Jesus buy? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And, and yeah, not, not to turn this into anything religious because... We, we don't we don't go down that path no. typically. We, no, it's just it's a it's a metaphor, right? Yeah, it really is. I mean, it, you know, you could take Gandhi, you could take uh, the Buddha, you Any, could yeah. take Muhammad, you could and and, and do something similar for sure. Yeah. So, um, 
with with that documentary, it exposes the art world in a way and some of the absurdity of the art scene, but then also shows you this whole new art form of, of street art, and a lot of it is is beautiful. Some of it's garbage, but I think you can expect that from any world. The blogging world, there's 50,000 new blogs are started a day. Good grief. And, and a lot of it's garbage. And that's okay because there's, you know, the cream rises to the top and, and, and there's still, it's one of the best platforms to communicate with people. One of the best things you and I ever did was certainly was starting the minimalists.com and that was before the podcast and everything else was just writing and getting this, this message out to people. And so blogging is great, but it can also be filled with just banal nonsense. And, and so you learn that about the art world. Access through the gift shop is, I think, my favorite documentary. Although I've got a a, a bunch on here. Tell me one that you've got, Ryan. Oh man! Well, the last one you and I watched together it was uh, Tony Robbins. I am not your guru. It's funny if you were to ask me what my favorite documentary is right now, it would be that one. But it's because it's the most recent one I've seen. I'm, I'm the same way. Like when people will ask, well, "What's your favorite documentary?" It's like, "Well, what's the documentary I've seen most recently?" Because usually, right. like that's the one that, that's on my mind right yeah. now. Yeah, but no, I loved how... Well, it's funny because Tony Robbins... Like, you and I have been listening to him since we were, like, young. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was 19 when I first started. Yeah, I remember you introduced me to him uh, when I first came and started working with you in the corporate world. So early 20s, 23, 24. Yeah, and... Yeah, he's great. Like, his information... The information he has, what I love about it is, you know, he doesn't just spout off opinions... Like he actually has doctors and scientists and uh, just a lot of a lot of research dug into uh, the theories that he has on like personal development and you know being able to be a better you and it's funny because like if someone was and actually even listening to Tony Robbins like talk about the the whole personal development stuff yeah it's like there's a piece in me that really uh, is turned off by it like yeah. there's a piece of me that's like. Uh, oh, here's some more self-help stuff. Um, but it, even his energy level, like he's so over the top that it's off-putting yes. sometimes. I think if it was anyone else, I would feel so turned off. Yeah, you're right. But he's so genuine. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to. Like he's a he's such a smart guy. He's such a genuine guy. Like he's not he's not yeah he's not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes he's not you know being over charismatic to compensate for anything else it's just who he is that is absolutely who he is but it's funny because this documentary i remember uh like we were getting ready to watch it and you were like oh yeah that's you know they follow um one of his three-day events that he has that he charges like five thousand bucks a piece for like this self-help development uh, yeah. uh getaway for five thousand bucks a piece to me sounds like a really big oxymoron because it's like hey you can get help if you can afford five thousand dollars right which sounds outrageous but um so well well going into it before I go before I go with the but uh going into it I thought like wow here is going to be a documentary covering stuff that I've already heard from Tony Robbins because you know he he uh, it just he does the same stuff. He's Very, like us. He talks about the I same things. I was just going to say, I'm like, it reminds me of us, and we're like, we will talk about the same things and maybe reward it a little bit differently. But, but, uh, but yeah, I was just thinking, like, okay, I've already listened to all of his stuff. Um, I don't need to listen to it again, but I'll watch this documentary because, you know, it was me and you and Mariah and Sean, and we wanted to watch it together. So I, I gave it a shot. I was just blown away. Mm-hmm. But how every single thing in that video I've heard him say before in, in one way or another. But I think what impressed me most with that documentary was how he was able to move people. And like that, 
Like, that's what I want to do, man. I mean, mm. I, I know we move a lot of people, don't get me wrong. And, and it's, it's an absolute privilege to be able to, even if it was just one person who, like, changed their perspective. and how, if, if it was the gal in Adelaide who, you know, if it was just her who came to us and was like, guys, I was homeless before I read your book. Thank you so much for helping me uh, be more deliberate with my resources and, and consider more what I was doing with my time, so forth and so on. Even if it was just her, like, that would feel good. And there are, you know, millions of people out there who we've been able to move but not like Tony Robbins, man. Right. Like that dude gets into a room and he can like almost make people fly. Like yes. it is insane, like how he's able to move a, a crowd of people. And the other thing that surprised me too is after watching that documentary, I thought to myself, if I had five thousand bucks, I would totally go and spend it on his on his uh, weekend getaway because yeah, it's, it's actually I think it's six or seven days. Yeah, and you know, it's not, oh yeah, I guess it is about six or seven days. So it's it's not like he, it's Tony Robbins taking $5,000 himself and then just talking to you for six or seven days. No. He has a team, I don't even know how many hundred of people. At least 200, maybe more, he maybe has wor- 400 He has people. working for him. So like it kind of made sense to me, like, oh, this is why he charges 5000 bucks. And I honestly, like after watching that, I feel like people uh, get way more value than that $5,000 that they spend on, on his seminar. Yeah, I was listening to an interview with so the, the guy who uh, who directed. I think is is it Joe Baringer? Uh, that sounds right. I, it could be wrong. Um, anyway, I, I was listening to an interview with him, and and the reason he did the documentary with Tony is he was at uh, at like some party or whatever that Tony was at as well, and Tony invited him to come to the the. Uh, What's the name of the six day seminar? It's uh, called. Um, it's not Unleash the Power Within. No, it, it is. Uh, oh, I can look it up real quick. Keep talking. I'll date look it with up. Destiny. Yeah, Date with Destiny. That's, That's it. exactly what it is. And so, so he invited him to come to the Date with Destiny. And Joe shows up that first day, Ryan, and he was the exact same uh, response you had. He was skeptical. He was so turned off. He's like high energy. There's loud music. There's 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 people like that are just getting really energetic. You have to share your feelings with each other, and it puts you in this discomfort zone for sure. Yeah. And he was so ready to leave after that first day, Ryan. Mm. But but he uh, he felt like he couldn't because he was in this VIP section, and and I guess Tony assigns a a special mentor to the the ten or fifteen VIPs that are there at the event, and so he felt like he was kind of trapped. He couldn't leave without offending everyone, and so he's like, all right. Whatever, and, and Joe is, is a famous documentarian. He he did the Metallica documentary. He, he did uh, uh, the, the documentary for what's it called the Memphis Three, the, those famous shootings. Anyway, he's done a bunch of of really well known documentaries, and and so he's like, I can't just leave. And so, all right, I'll just stick it out, like at least one more day. And he said, by the end of of day two, he felt this just monumental shift that because there was an exercise they did where he has you go back and remember your first memory and like you really get into the state and they cover this a little bit in the documentary but it's a 50 minute exercise something like that and then they, they, he's able to take you back to your first memory before your first memory mm. and really get you back to the root of the problems and anxieties and fears that you have now mm. as, as an adult and he said for the first time in his life he wept and wept and oh, wow. wept. And he's, he's spent the next two or three years trying to convince Tony to uh, let him come and film him. Uh, the only condition was that 
he had that final cut. You know, Tony, it wasn't Tony's documentary. Tony wasn't the one making the documentary, so he wanted final cut of the film. And he said, and Tony said no for a while because he didn't want it to interrupt the event. I mean, like you said, people were paying five thousand bucks or whatever. Yeah, you it don't is. want a camera in your face. Yeah, and there's only twenty five hundred people there, and, and and so he didn't want a, a whole camera team and, and a, te- a team of cameramen and, and producers and cast and all the all these other. Uh, people in the way and eventually he said he convinced him that if it doesn't work out our first day we'll get out of the way we'll give you any of the footage we have you can have it and do whatever you want with it but i think we can record and capture something that's going to be influential it's going to be uh, effective and they certainly did i i I was talking to mariah your partner afterward and she's like i didn't even know who tony robin was i thought he was some different guy with crazy long hair a surfer guy or something (laughs) now and she's like "I, i was totally on board and then becca my partner watched it a few days later uh, after we watched it, and she was totally blown away. She's like, I had no idea. She's like, I really, really like this guy now. Yeah. And, and I was always turned off by the guru image of of Tony Robbins. And I think that's the, the great title, too. I am not your guru. Yeah. He, he always talks about it. He's not a motivational speaker. He's a strategy guy, and he helps mm-hmm. people uncover strategies. The film opens up. This isn't, isn't spoiling anything. It opens up with a person who's suicidal, a guy who wants to kill himself. Yeah. And he spends the next several minutes. And that's what I like. He gets quick results, and then because he has a team of two, three, four hundred people, they follow up with people after the, the right. seminar. Six months later, a year later, two years later, and something in like thirty plus years, he's had a, he's he's helped hundreds of people who have been suicidal, and it's he crazy. hasn't lost a single person. It's amazing. Yeah, the I am not your guru that really s- stood out to me because um, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, I I, I see what he's saying um, because people show up at this event and they expect to be told exactly what to do. Yes, and, and and they are they're guided. I mean, so they're told what to do to a certain extent. Like, hey, follow this exercise with me. Follow this breathing technique with me. Right. But as far as like next steps in people's lives, you know, he he's there to give his opinion uh-huh. and and give some suggestions. But ultimately, like you know, he isn't this guru. He doesn't want to be a guru. Right. But I can totally relate with that because it's like you know I'll have some you know we'll have a reader come and they're like, you know, how can minimalism help me? And they'll like lay down this you know I'm poor with. 10 kids and, you know, no income and, you know, how's getting rid of stuff going to help me? And it's like, you know, uh, we can focus on other resources besides stuff and money. But, but at the end of the day, like, I want to look at those people and and say, Hey, look, I'm not, we're not your gurus. Right. Like we are, we're here to, uh, present our opinions Mm -hmm. and our stories, things that have really helped us. We've seen help other people. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, we're not prescribing anything. And that's, that's what I really, um, liked about Tony too, is I could relate with him in that aspect. And I do like how, yeah, he doesn't prescribe anything. It's all, it's all kind of like, Hey, this is what I think you should do. Um, if I was you, this is what, what I would do. But if you don't agree with that, then don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was reading. This is a bit of a tangent. I was reading Derek Sivers' uh, book recently. It's a very short book. It's called uh, "Do Anything You Want," and it's like eighty-eight pages. So his, his idea was to distill everything he learned about business in the last ten years and give it to you so you could read it in an hour. And, awesome. and so he he if you don't know who Derek Sivers is, he's a very sort of Zen guy, and he writes a lot of things that are are his opinions are countercultural for sure. Mm-hmm. But he started a company called CD Baby back in the late '90s and grew it to the point where it was worth probably a billion dollars at one point, but never wanted to sell it, refused to take investors. And eventually, when he was done with the company, he sold it for something like twenty two million dollars, twenty five million dollars, something like that, and. Uh, 
although he could have been a billionaire, it seems, but he always was trying to make his business smaller mm. over time and, and really focusing on, on the customers that he had. And I'm going to buy a case of this book and just hand it out to people. I think it's some of the best business advice I've ever read, and, and it's very digestible. Mm. And in the beginning, the, the reason I bring this up is he talks about how uh, this is what worked for me, and I don't know if it's going to work for you. And I think that's exactly what we try to communicate. You know, the way we talk about it is, hey, we figured out a recipe that works for us. Tweeze out a few ingredients and create your own recipe for living an intentional, meaningful life. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully you know, a few of our ingredients will help you get there a little bit quicker. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, so what else, man? What, what's well, your... Well, oh, when we watched that, when we, I think it was the perfect timing for us, too. So I think it kind of... You know how we have people come to us and they're like, I found your website right at the right time, or yeah. I found your podcast at the right time, or, or your book, whatever. I was at this coffee shop and someone just gave me a copy of your book. And and I felt like the I am not your guru, like you said, yeah, we, we've been familiar with Tony Robbins for a while. In fact, he's been very influential on our work, especially the stuff around contribution and growth. And... And, and what I found is it was a good time, it was a good reinforcement because it was certainly different from his, you know, his tapes and CDs of, of the past. The first time I heard him was on cassette tape. But uh, it was different because it was reiterating these sort of principles, but in a, an immersive way, mm. this live event, and it was edited down really well. And you and I were in Fargo, North Dakota, recording our second TEDx talk. Mm. And, and so I think it was a good time for us. To, it was me, you, Sean, and Mariah, just all sitting in a room and screening this film. It made me feel more prepared in a way, mm. energized. It, it made me feel... Uh, emboldened in a way to help people. And that's really what we're trying to do is, is contribute beyond ourselves. And, and it emboldened me to, to make sure that I'm being the best version of myself so that I can contribute to the world around me. And I think because of that, it actually helped our, our TEDx Fargo talk go uh, well. I agree with uh, you. That is not available online yet for those of you who keep asking, uh, um, but it will be soon. So if you just subscribe to our website. Just go to theminimalists.com and type in your email there at the top. We'll send that out to you as soon as it's available online. In the meantime, if you want to check out our first TEDx talk, you can you can find that on our YouTube page. It's just uh, youtube.com slash theminimalists. All right, what, what else? Uh, Ryan, I just finished this OJ documentary. Have you heard about it? Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. It's a ESPN 30 for 30 thing, but I just downloaded it. On, Is it the one that on talks iTunes? about like why everyone was rooting for OJ to get off? Sort of, yeah. And it's weird, man, because uh, and we should we should talk about this. I we, we Beck and I watched the whole thing. We spent all month watching it because it's a, Oh, it's like a documentary series. It's a seven and a half hour documentary. Oh, wow. So, wow. Yes. It just plays straight for seven and a half well, hours. Well, no, they, they split it up into five parts oh, okay. because it aired on five different nights on ABC okay. and then ESPN. Uh, but you download it all together on uh, iTunes or, mm. or wherever, you, you know, I don't know where else you can get it, but I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I'm with you. Um, anyway, it really covers his whole life. And it's uh, Ezra Edelman is, is the guy who directed it. And it it's a masterpiece of a documentary. Wow. It, it walks through. OJ's whole life growing up. He grew up in the projects in San Francisco. And then he got to this point where through his merits, through a meritocracy, through his drive and discipline, 
became, if not the most talented athlete in the world, pretty close to it. And he just had, you know, we're, we weren't alive in the 70s when he was playing. But so they showed a lot of this footage of him playing for Buffalo. And even when he was playing at, at was he at UCLA, Sean? Do you know? Uh, he, was in, he was somewhere in L.A., whatever, college, whatever college yeah. he was at. And he was like a ballerina, man. I mean, you don't think of like football players being this graceful, but he was just truly, I mean, it was amazing to watch him just, it was like butter running through a, a crowd. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Wow. But he also did this weird thing where he transcended race. And, and this was a very complicated time in the 60s, especially, mm. where, and there was a lot of controversy, controversy around this, and rightfully so sometimes, but where a lot of like the Black Panthers and and uh, civil rights groups wanted to recruit him because he was a very big athlete, and they had Muhammad Ali and, and other people to try to to empower other Black people, which was was important. But he had this line, which a lot of controversy around was, "I'm not Black, I'm OJ," mm. and he tried to eschew that. And you could argue that that was smart from sort of a marketing perspective, or also it, it didn't it didn't allow him to embed himself in those controversies. He wanted to stand out only on his merits. But you could also argue the other side. And I think the the, the documentary does a good job of, of both of arguing he was 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 trying to remove himself from controversy, but by doing so, it also made it more controversial in a way. Mm. But then he became the first uh, uh, black spokesperson for any major company ever uh, for Hertz. I mean, I don't know if you remember those ads. I think it was early 80s, late 70s. He's running through the airport and... and I think the yeah, I think the first thing I remember about OJ is the Naked Gun movies. Yeah, well, and it led to that eventually. <laughs> that was in the 90s, I think. Yeah. And... It's like the first mention of OJ, I mean, remember. He was beloved by everyone, pretty much. And then, of course, uh, the you know, the murder of his wife and, and uh, Ron Goldman. And the documentary does a really great job of... Here's the weird thing. So I, I grew up in a, a predominantly black neighborhood. And growing up, I just always thought OJ was innocent because everyone around me said OJ was innocent. But you, you go and you you... You watch his documentary, mm-hmm. and clearly, I mean, he was be- he was beyond the shadow of a doubt guilty. Oh, really? Oh, without a doubt, man. After watching the documentary, yes, absolutely. You know he did it without a doubt. I mean, and I think the thing is, like, even if you were back in ninety four, ninety five during yeah. the trial, and you watch from an objective view, like, yeah. it's unquestionable that that he did it. Yeah, uh, and especially everything that happened after the trial. Are we legally allowed to say that he's guilty on air like this? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, here's let's say he lost the civil suit to the Goldmans. Oh, okay. Um, so yes, he allegedly killed his wife and uh and and ron goldman and and i'll tell you but then somehow it does this weird thing toward toward the end and by the way there's no real spoilers here because this is all like just common knowledge ezra edelman just boiled it down to this beautiful perfect seven hours mm-hmm. of of footage but uh and interviews with a whole bunch of different people but toward the end i mean OJ totally gets screwed. You know, he's in prison right now for stealing back memorabilia. memorabilia yeah. Yeah. And so, so he got, well, he got screwed in the end. Like, he shouldn't have been, he shouldn't be in prison right now. No, he, he not, not, well, he shouldn't be in prison right now for the crime that he's there for. Yeah. So it makes you just feel so, I feel lucky be, that he didn't, in a way, like in retrospect, I feel really lucky that he didn't, 
Like, I think America feels lucky that he didn't get uh, prosecuted or and sentenced for the wa- murder of his wife because it, it was such a loaded case, man. Yeah, well, if he would, I think if he was found guilty, like it would have been more rights. I mean, that was like oh, the, without a doubt. I mean, so in the documentary, they show the the reaction at where where as soon as he's not guilty, like the jubilation, the the excitement, the cheering, it's unbelievable, Dude, man. At, at our high school, during study hall, mm-hmm. uh, the study hall teacher brought in a TV. For, so you remember, our, our study hall was in the cafeteria, so it was like hundreds of kids in there. Yeah. Brought in the TV for OJ's verdict. Uh-huh. And like we, like when he was proven innocent or when he was not convicted, not right. not prosecuted, or yeah, not convicted. I mean, we all jumped out of our chairs. Yeah. All, every single one of us. Yeah. We were all like, yeah, he's not guilty. I don't even know why I was happy for him. I was yeah. just really happy. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think it's part of it is we had a lot of black friends and, and that, that was the, the, the nice thing about this is you, you see how just screwed up our justice system has been for a long time. And, yeah. and the, the documentary does a very good job of showing you how, you know, whether it was like the riots of the '60s or, or, or just the the system the the systemic oppression of black people, especially in Los Angeles at that time, yeah. which a lot of this centered around, and and you feel you 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 understand that this the 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 decision there isn't an indictment of or or isn't letting. OJ off as much as it is an indictment on the corrupt system and yeah. especially the corrupt police officers and you know putting what a, mar- we- what a weird way to like getting a, getting a guilty man off like how that somehow makes it better like what's yeah it, but it saved uh, hundreds of not hundreds but maybe dozens of people could have died could have died from the ensuing the riots that would have happened yeah people were ready to riot uh, without a doubt i mean i uh, there there's no question how close is that to the rodney king thing a couple of years uh, rodney king was 91 92 i think yeah, like it was still there. like so i know that, four, that was still like a fresh that was still yeah. like a fresh wound it was very fresh yeah and 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 then the whole mark Furman thing i mean the the, the tapes they found of mark Furman, like talking about hating black people and just the the words that he used to describe black people was unbelievable man he and so no it's likely that mark Furman didn't plant the glove on oj and and all the evidence was just so overwhelming you know his blood nicole's blood ron's blood all in the bronco i mean it was just the dna evidence was so overwhelming you would have convicted anyone else uh but uh, Johnny Cochran w- was smart and, and turned the whole thing into uh, uh, he kind of put the LA police on trial yeah. instead of having OJ on trial. Wow! And it worked well for him. But anyway, it's it's a phenomenal so, documentary. Well done, Doc. But, but by the end of it, Ryan, mm-hmm. I felt a disdain and and uh, I just felt like you never feel bad for OJ. But to me, the documentary itself was a portrait of why we should be willing to let go because as i walk through it nicole should have let go of oj very early on Mm. there were signs of abuse from his their very first date Mm. she came back with her clothes ripped on their very first date by the way he was still married when they were on their first date and and so she should have let go at that time because she had she let go she'd still be alive today most likely wow uh and then OJ, when she left him, 
he should have let go because then none of this, he'd still be beloved by the entire world if if this whole thing wouldn't have happened. So if he would have just let her go, he still had his life, his mansion in Brentwood and, and all his endorsement deals and all this other stuff. He he was O.J. Simpson, man. He was like the the most loved person in America well, at maybe, that time. Maybe that's why it escalated the way it did because it's like everyone else yeah. loves you except this woman who you really love mm-hmm. doesn't love you and... Yeah, and you, he was, and, you know, at a certain point, like you would, I mean, it would be hard for me not to feel entitled to love, you know. I mean, I, right, I'm not right. saying that I would get to that point, but right, except he was, he was crazy abusive, right. and 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 I mean, there's like eight nine one one calls of her with Good him. Grief. I mean, uh, different instances, by the way. Good grief! And and so he he if he would have let go, everyone would be in a much better situation. But then the the Goldmans, so Ron Goldman was murdered uh, alongside Nicole, but her, her parents refused to let go for years and years. And I understand that that your son was murdered and it was an awful thing, but they just kept trying to do really punitive stuff. Mm. And, and I think it was making their life more miserable because they just kept holding on to this ah, instead of moving on. Interesting. And then OJ, finally, after you know he was... Uh, acquitted but then lost the civil suit he then moved to florida so they couldn't seize more of his assets and and uh because he lost the civil suit for by the way a very punitive 33 million dollars just a random number it seemed like um and and so he moved to florida but then he he couldn't let go of fame so he Mm. was he was famous early on in his life for all the right things hard work discipline uh 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 athleticism, talent, skill, all of these things. Hard, I mean, he, he was the hardest working man in sports, it seemed. He was so good at it, too, just mm-hmm. this innate talent, but also this ability to stay more disciplined. And, and he was famous for the right stuff. Mm-hmm. But, and even when he was acting, he wasn't a great actor, but they show you how hard he tried. Yeah, he was. A, he, he found tr- roles that fit him. He did find ro- and even found some roles that didn't fit him, or that, that those roles found him. Wasn't he supposed to be the Terminator? He'd be. He was. I know he was on the docket to be the Terminator. If it wasn't like, uh, if it wasn't Arnold, it would have been. I think it was supposed to be OJ. Believe it or not, I, I I believe that. And and here's the thing: like there were roles that didn't fit him well, but he worked really hard, and he did. And all the directors agreed that he did much better than they anticipated mm-hmm. because because he worked so hard. So he, again, he was famous for all of the right reasons, but then. He couldn't let go of that fame because no one loved him anymore after this trial because it seemed that yeah, at least yeah, three-fourths of the country saw him as a murderer. And even if they didn't hate him, they no longer ha- held him they in didn't this. They trust him. They didn't put him on this pedestal anymore. Right. And so, well, once you lose everyone's trust, like that's when people stop liking you. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he got into this sort of seedy, shady community in Miami mm-hmm. where he was living and held on to, it was sort of like the gangster rap version of, uh, or, or mafioso version of fame. Mm-hmm. It was infamy. And he became like a sort of pseudo or faux gangster uh, down in, in Miami. And there's a lot of footage I, I didn't even realize. Like, he was out partying. He's always at strip clubs. There's him smoking cigars with, like, three women by him. And, like, 
like this whole other side. It was like the anti-OJ. He was the opposite of the OJ that before, but he couldn't let go of that fame. And so this was the only kind of fame he could now attain was infamy. Mm. He couldn't let go of that. And then he couldn't let go of the stuff. And I'll, I'll sort of end it here because when the Goldmans won that $33 million against him, they, they started seizing assets. And so he started hiding. He had friends, so he had deniability. Like they come to his house, and they, they started filling up storage lockers with his stuff. You know, he had an Andy Warhol painting of himself, mm. and his Heisman Trophy, which is kind of screwed up, man, that, that they would want to take his Heisman Trophy. But yeah, because like the, the, there's no... Mon- there shouldn't be much monetary value in that thing. But anyway, if he had the willingness to let go of everything, because me, I can let go of any any physical thing. Mm-hmm. There's not a trophy in the world that I care about, right? These yeah. All these things are just tools for me. But because he couldn't let go, that was his ultimate demise. Because when he went to Vegas to rob the people of, of his memorabilia, because someone had, had a hoard of his memorabilia, and he got in trouble, and he so he got sentenced to thirty three years oh my God. for kidnapping and armed robbery. Now, he, did he really kidnap and 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 perform armed robbery? Not really. No, no one would have really gotten a thirty three year sentence for what he did. But it was, uh, as they they called it in the documentary, the fifth quarter. The justice system mm. wins in the fifth quarter of, of the That's game. So. It's a it's a phenomenal documentary. I think it's it's quite the masterpiece, and and uh, we can move on. Yeah. What else you got, Ryan? Um, I want to talk about this trilogy uh, that I watched. Um, it's a snowboarding trilogy. Mm. This guy named Jeremy Jones. Um, he's got three documentaries out there called Deeper, Further, and Higher. And these were actually so yeah. Uh, uh, the trilogy started with Deeper. And then further, those were both in 2012. And then higher is the last one, 2014. But these dudes do this like back mountain snowboarding. Uh, I mean, just and, and this guy's like these aren't like snowboarding, like not the kind that you do where there's a a setup course kind of thing. What's that right. even called? I don't know. I'm well, so I mean, you, well, you've got like half pipe and stuff like that. But no, you're talking about places where people generally don't go. Correct. Like, okay. like his. So his whole thing was like he was in the Olympics and he was doing half pipes and he was winning sl- slalom and he was winning different competitions. But like he wanted, he needed more adrenaline essentially. Uh-huh. So what I really love about this dude is like, so right now he's forty one years old. So when he's filming this stuff, he's like my age. So it still gives me hope that like I can still do some badass stuff on a snowboard. <laughs> um, but 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 essentially like it's this this whole trilogy is a build up to him like scaling Mount Everest and snowboarding down Mount Everest. Wow. And it's just amazing like n- not only to to see his level of dedication, but to see the level of support that his family and like his friends have around him. Uh, not only that, but like the um, the training that he has to go through. And uh, just the, the different things that he has to endure, like literally. So they got nowadays, and I don't. They must have been. They haven't been out that long. So if they didn't come out in 2012, then they came out in like 2011 or 2010. But there are these snowboards that literally they break in half, like they 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 become skis. So what they do is they climb up these mountains with skis, and uh-huh. then when they get to the top, they put the board back together, uh-huh. and then they snowboard down the mountain. Why do they? And it's just why some of the most that? amazing footage. Why, why wouldn't they just because, carry it on their back? 
because uh, it's think of it as like snowshoes. It's easier okay. to get up the mountain. Okay. On yeah. the skis. To me, it seemed like it'd be harder to get up the mountain with skis. Right. But, I mean, okay. they're basically I wa- yeah. They use like the skis as like leverage to get up the mountain. I okay. guess they could use snowshoes, but they didn't. So It'd be I'm an assuming, extra piece of equipment. Yeah, and I'm well. I'm assuming if because they had they had so many people with them, like I'm sure someone could carry the snowshoes for them. But I'm assuming the skis are somehow easier. Okay. But yeah, I'm just throwing that out there. If if uh, if you're out there and you like snowboarding, uh, deeper, further, higher, like those are three just insane documentaries, just beautiful mountainous shots, and then you got dudes riding snowboards down on these and just pulling up, pulling off some amazing downhill stuff. I, I'm like I love jumping and like I've I've never like actually attempted well I have attempted a half pipe and very quickly got out of it. Um <laughs> but yeah, like I got to a point where I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna come out of this thing and then like what is, I, yeah, what is a half pipe kind of for? Let, let's pretend I know. I mean we know that I know, but let's assume our audience doesn't know. Our audience knows what a half pipe is, man. Okay, well what if I was your audience? <laughs> um a half pipe? I don't even know how to describe it, man. It's a think of a pipe, cut it in half. Yeah, but so okay, so think of a huge pipe. That's so there's a pipe on the hill. What are you talking yes, about? Yes, but it's half of a pipe on a hill. So like basically, you could roll down into the pipe, and then you can go up and down each side of it, and you uh, gain okay. more and more momentum, more and more speed, especially on a board. Like on a skateboard, you kind of have to keep the momentum. And these going. are these aren't man-made. Those these are natural. No, these are man-made. Oh okay, there ain't no natural half pipes. Oh, well, there might be, but far and few between. Um, but no, these are man-made. Uh, you can see how ignorant I am. Like this is like uh, Sean White. I'm like, why can't I remember the dude? Sean White? Even I know who that is. Yeah. So like that. He's that's a redhead. Like that's what he's famous for is like all his half pipe tricks and stuff. Okay. Like I mean, he's won tons of medals and other things, but the half pipe is kind of like the, that's like the the half the half pipe is like the spotlight of the Winter Games. Okay. The Winter Olympic Games and any other competitions that go on around the world. Right. Yeah. So um. He, so he doesn't really. Uh, like mess with any of that, and but to me that's the most exciting stuff. You do tricks, you you get you know you get some air, you do flips, yada yada yada. You do this crazy stuff. Uh, so like going downhill to me wasn't ever something that I was fully interested in. Like going, oh, I'm going down the hill on a snowboard. Great, look at me. Like you know, do some tricks, do something. Yeah. But like these guys take it to such an extreme. Like it's it's even better watching this. To like I, I enjoy watching them go down a hill. Much more than I would enjoy Sean White in a in a half pipe. When's the like first time you went snowboarding? Uh, I was fifteen. So, was but you were 15. skate skateboarding way before that. Do you think skateboarding mm-hmm. led you to, to snowboarding? Uh, that's definitely why I picked snowboarding, but uh-huh. it does not translate. Yeah, so that's what I've heard. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe a little bit. I've also heard that snowboarding doesn't translate to skiing very well. Oh my god, no, <laughs> no! I tried skiing once, and I was super out of shape though. Like I was 19. Yeah, I was just really out of shape. Had just gotten married, put on like 20, 30 pounds after getting married, and like we went skiing, and it was a miserable time. But um, I'd be willing to try it again. But I, I don't. I mean, there's no reason though. I mean, it, if anything, if I started skiing, I'd be like, oh wow, I like skiing too. Then I'd feel like I'd have to buy more crap. So. I haven't really went out of my way to, to try skiing. But yeah, if you're a snowboarding fan out there, like check out the Jeremy Jones trilogy. Um, yeah, you're going to love it. There's three of them, deeper, further, and higher. I, I, actually, if there's, I guarantee you, like uh, boarders that are listening to this right now, they've probably already seen this. Like, this is, I'm late to the game watching these well, documentaries. There's probably some people, like, like my partner Bex, who's a, a skier who has probably never seen it, but may, may find yeah. some, some value in it. Yeah. You know what else doesn't translate to uh, snowboarding? Hmm. 
basketball. No, not at all. You know, it's just crazy. <laughs> like, think, I could play basketball really well, but I... You, you think with that 70% uh, free throw... <laughs> <laughs> is really low, man. I, could, I couldn't miss from the line. But, um, but no, I... I think that that you know it's interesting how how one skill set that it, then I see go back going to back someone like OJ. There is some the footage him, of him in the last hour or two of the documentary, yeah. where he does everything. He was good at virtually baseball, track, high jump, <laughs> right. football. I mean, he, he was, was just, just talented in general. He was so talented. Yeah. yeah, he probably would have just hopped on the snowboard and, and been fine. Right. I'll, I tell you, man, that time you took me out snowboarding. I about killed myself. I, I know. Mean, I thought I thought I broke tore, your knee. Tore man. my ACL. Oh my like, I almost tore my ACL. I didn't actually. Yeah, um, that's crazy. Yeah, it was not good. Uh, next one that I have, Ryan, is the Armstrong lie. What? Have you seen it? No. What is that? Man. Uh, so you know who Neil Armstrong is? Never heard of him. <laughs> 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 pretend I don't know who Neil. Pretend I'm not from Lebanon, Ohio. <laughs> All right. Well, the documentary isn't about Neil Armstrong. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about the guy who walked on the moon. Uh, no, it's about uh, Lance Armstrong. Oh, okay. So, remember Lance Armstrong, uh, seven-time Tour de France. He's dead Can't to we me. just say Tour de France? I'm looking at Sean because he's he he has the grammar knowledge here. Neil Armstrong. I mean. Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. <laughs> He's dead to me after all the doping allegations. Well, that's what this whole documentary is no, about. I'm just and it's I think f- it's ridiculous that people. Like they, they, everything he's done is like negated because he's like steroids. Everyone's on steroids, man. Especially it's, in that sport. And 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 here's the thing: he never once. I shouldn't say everyone's on steroids, but every professional athlete is faced with the decision to do steroids because there are a high percentage of professional athletes on steroids. Right. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and and he never once was tested. Po- he never once tested positive ever uh, for any. Uh, uh, steroids or epo or so what was the blood doping that came out with him just everyone knew he was doing it and he had so many people saying that he was he just found ways around it hmm. i mean and so the whole documentary goes through that but really it's a portrait of why we shouldn't lie i mean th- that's really oh, the, what yeah. the documentary is about is yeah because why, why we shouldn't lie yeah so it's not the fact that he was the people denounced him because he did steroids as much as they again they lost their trust he lost or yeah he lost their trust and yes. like once that trust is gone, that's when people start to like crucify you. Yeah, and the whole Live Strong movement. I mean, oh, yeah. I think what he was doing for cancer research, it was all really amazing. Here, but you're you're right. Here's the problem: uh, if if you would have, so they took away those trophies or awards or whatever from him. Mm-hmm. Basically, they took his name off of those seven years that he won. But you can't give it to anyone else because I think if you give it to someone else, it ends up being like the. 30th or 40th person in line is the person who actually would have won because everyone in the top was doping. Everyone. Yeah. And they were doing weird things like blood doping. Are you familiar with this? No. So they would... Like rem- a blood transfusion? Yeah. A lot, so their own blood. So so what they would do is, uh, I guess, the oxygen levels, it's easier... When you're at a low altitude, right? You, the less the the oxygen you yes in, in your blood is, it's easier to run and, and bike at a low. You can altitude. breathe easier in a lower, or you don't have to breathe as much in a lower altitude. Right, and there's so a they, lot more oxygen. Yes, yeah, and air gets, in, air in gets thinner blood. as you get higher. Yeah, and so they would take their they take their blood out 
at a low altitude, mm-hmm. transport it to the higher altitude, because Tour de France is, is 22 days mm. and, and at very high altitudes, and then they would p- inject their own blood back into them at this high level, which is illegal. Uh, That's illegal. Do. Yeah. Even though there's no steroids in it or anything. Yeah, because it's performance enhancing. Uh, but coffee is performance enhancing. Potentially, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's why it becomes silly at some point. Yeah. Also, the EPOs and everything else that, that they were doing, a lot of it wasn't steroids necessarily. It was just ways to game the system and who was better at mm. it. And he, not only was he the best athlete, he was also better at, at doping than everyone else. And also better. So that blood transfusion would be considered doping, even though there's really no dope in there. But yeah, they call it blood doping. Wow. I was going to, I thought you were going to say, like, you know, instead of actually injecting steroids, they get a blood, they get blood from someone who uses steroids. <laughs> no, no, no. And then they take a blood transfusion. So technically, <laughs> they're not injecting themselves with steroids. All right. The next one on my list, Ryan. Hey, did you know this year we beat Wiener? Yes. <laughs> I did know that. So the documentary Wiener is the next one on my list, and it came out a week before ours, and we we had a, a slightly better opening weekend uh, than our opening three days than, than that documentary did, although I'm sure it has gone on to, to surpass us. But um, the the documentary Wiener is another portrait of why we should not lie, but also I think it's a portrait. Have you seen it yet? No, uh, I saw it over at the Roxy. Is it good? Yeah, it, it was really good. It was yeah. a portrait for me of of why we shouldn't lie, but also why our short term actions need they must meet our long term values, our long term desires. Yeah. So Anthony Weiner is the politician who accidentally uh, tweeted a picture of his junk. Oh my God! A very well endowed politician. I remember this now. And he uh, he he. He tweeted it out like I guess he meant to DM the girl. By the way, he's married to to Huma Aberdeen, who is you probably know Huma. She's like Hillary Clinton's right hand woman. Okay, and uh, that's another thing I noticed throughout the documentary. She's so well put together, like she's just constantly gorgeous. On the, she looks like a movie star throughout the entire thing. And that's the thing about documentaries: the people in documentaries don't look like movie stars, even though they're in a movie. You know, you, you see me and you in our documentary, and it's like, oh, it's a couple of regular guys in, in a film. And then you see this, and Anthony Weiner's a you know, relatively attractive guy, I guess. But, but then you see his wife up there, who is not just brilliant, but she's stunning as well. And it, it's, it, it looks incongruous, because we don't see people like that in documentaries. Um, the same way Tony Robbins looked incongruous in... In his documentary, just because he's so massive, he's like six seven, six eight, mm-hmm. and just he has that pituitary gland issue that made him keep growing, and and his hands are are you know, bigger than my face. Um, <laughs> he could just palm my head easily. Yeah, you could but, palm a beach ball. Like, yeah, I yeah. swear to you, it's it's unbelievable. But anyway, uh, Wiener is a, a great documentary about why we need to live in accordance with our values because he wanted to. He was a great politician. I mean, truly great politician. Could have affected change, did affect change. You see some of the footage of him arguing on the House of Representatives floor. So he was in Congress, and then he got caught for tweeting uh, uh, a dick pic. Yeah. And then sort of 
got forgiven for that and moved on with his life and ran for mayor of New York City and was up in the polls uh, ahead of Bill de Blasio, who is the current mayor. In fact, well ahead in the polls. And I didn't realize that uh, how mm. hot, how far ahead he was. He's such a phenomenal politician, one of the best I've ever natural politician, and, and good at arguing, good at, at debating, good at getting his point across. I don't know if that's a good thing. He's a natural good politician, but I understand what you're saying. Right, right. But he here's the thing. He was a good politician with with good values. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the problem is that. He he also had you know this other side where there was this compulsion to be loved to mm. be I, you know I don't know what it is there's some sort of psychological thing there for sure that we all have desires we all we all have sex drives and libido and 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 certainly you know want to be uh, with other people sexually even if we're in a a committed relationship well, sure i mean we're we're, we're still we're human beings humans, we, man. yeah it, but i mean well and so our civilization acts like it's a bad thing to have you know we both have partners but it's not like i haven't checked out another woman while i I've, I've been with becca right that, i would be shocked if if mariah didn't look at other guys yeah absolutely like we are naturally programmed to notice yeah i mean it, the difference is is like you just don't act on it Right. Yeah. Unless it, it's agreed upon, like maybe Wiener and his wife had something worked out to where, you know, he could do what he wanted. I mean, I, I'm not saying that's the case, but yeah, they they very well could have, and that's that's great. And if they did, he should have come out and said and said yeah. that. Because it, well, it's funny because like the American, like let's think about like the Bill Clinton thing. Like if Bill Clinton came out and said, "Yes, this is what happened. Hillary and I have an arrangement." And at the end of the day, it's really none of your business. But since it's out in the public, like this is what it is. Like I don't think the American public could have handled that. Now, 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 now. It was a 22 year old intern. He is the president. Like there is a whole like, did he use his power to manipulate? Which yeah, there, is a, there's a, a good a, argument. Which, there for which, that. which is a different controversy. But that's not the controversy that I'm that we're talking about sure. as much as consensual and. Anyway, yeah, it's the reason I, I, love, I, don't, I don't know if the American people can handle it, is what I'm saying. I love Dan Savage's podcast because he talks about all these n- non traditional relationships. And mm-hmm. well, I don't tend to agree completely with his politics because he's very black and white, and I tend to be more gray on, on issues. Mm-hmm. Um, he, all his sex advice is spot on 98% of the time mm-hmm. uh, with non-traditional relationships, traditional relationships. And, and it's ultimately about just being honest and living your truth because then yeah. no one, if you're living your truth, no one can fault you for it. No one, no one can use that truth against you. Mm. I think it's important to understand. Amen. And that, that's what happened with Anthony Weiner is his truth got used against him. And so in the middle of his mayor, mayoral campaign, he tweeted another, or he sent another, uh, uh, pick to I guess an escort or a stripper or something, mm-hmm. and and the whole controversy started all over again. So in the middle of all of it, at his at when he's killing it in the polls, killing it, yeah, he absolutely just couldn't resist, he couldn't resist. Wow, yeah. So he has this compulsion, and so it, it was done really well, and and it's filming this whole so so this documentary starts out of being sort of this campaign documentary of Anthony Weiner, uh, winning his way back to public. Uh, public office, but also pub- public adulation, mm-hmm. and, and winning back the hearts of of the American public, and New York being the real America, and and the melting pot, and and all these people love him. It starts out being this almost like campaign documentary to this 
documentary of controversy all over again, right in the middle of it. Mm. And so they inadvertently capture this thing that is just, it's great. So wow. I definitely recommend that. Check it out. Um, we haven't talked about the true cost yet. I don't know if that's on your list or not. It's not. Uh, we, I know we've recommended it in past podcasts, but Mar- Mariah and I watched that. Uh, God, it feels like it was a couple weeks ago, but it was probably several, several months ago. No, it's a great, great documentary. Um, it just talks about the links between, you know, consumer pressure for low cost, high fashion and uh the the and how we go and fulfill that need essentially mm. and there is a like there's a lot involved you know when someone goes to the store they go to H&M and H&M is really good at you know having a get this top for 9.99 get this top for 19.99 and that is the upfront uh, uh upfront cost f- to, to purchase an item like that, the ostensible cost is just that monetary nineteen ninety nine, that twenty dollar bill that someone takes out of their purse and hands to the cashier. They put a little ding in their credit card. Uh, the, the the what goes in behind making that shirt, and then all the other shirts that were made along with it, the the resources that it uses, mm. the communities uh, that are affected um, by the pollution that factories like that make. It really goes through like what the true cost of a 1999 tank top is yeah. to the world, and I think it is a documentary that everyone should watch. Even something like Food Inc., which you know wasn't like uh, the best documentary ever. Like people should know like what the what their decisions, what their consumption decisions is costing the rest of the world. Right, and it's really hard to. Uh, to get that perspective in the United States, man, because we can go anywhere and get anything we want. Yeah. And we don't have to grow our own food anymore. Right. Um, in fact, Josh, I guarantee you, if you were at your home, you couldn't even, if you decided to just sit down and like, you know, just give up on life and, and sit there and die, like you couldn't even do that, man. Like we are, we have, I would be knocking on your door right. and then we'd bring you to a, a hospital to get you taken care of. We'd put a feeding tube down your throat. My, my point is, is that we have we have so much, um, and we're used to having so much that you know all, all we can see is how it affects us, and maybe how it affects our family and people around us. Um, but there's so much more that goes into it. Uh, everyone knows that stat. You know, if the entire world consumed like the United States, we would need over four Earths to to uh, sustain our unchecked consumption. And this movie really helps put that into light and shows why uh, why we do need to curb our our consumption habits. Quite often, people ask us like, "What brand is your shirt or your bag or your pair of pants or the shoes you're wearing or whatever?" And I tend not to answer. And the, 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 with a specific brand, there's a couple reasons. Is I I tend to be really deliberate with with the purchases I make, but mm-hmm. just because a shirt that I own fits me well doesn't necessarily mean that it will fit you well mm-hmm. as well. In fact, we've proven that. This brand of shirt that I'm wearing, you tried on one that was in your size and it just didn't fit you well. And so you wear a different brand, even though you know I'm wearing this like slate gray, almost black t-shirt right now. You're wearing your standard black uniform, uh, <laughs> your standard black t-shirt. Uh, I can tell you this, though. Uh, the shirt that I'm wearing is made in America, and the pants that I'm wearing are also made in America. 
However, the, the shoes that, that I'm wearing, I took the logos off them. I'll hold them up here. You can tell what kind of shoes they are. Mm -hmm. um, and they're just sort of sandal-esque. And, and you'll know who they are when I tell you this. But they're not made in America. But when you buy one pair, another pair gets sent to a, a poor child in, in need. And, and so it's really about being more deliberate with the things that we, that we bring into our life. And when I say something's made in America, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily any better. There are plenty of things that are made in America. Think of American-made cars in the 90s. Uh, they, they couldn't hold a candle to, to a Toyota back then. No. Now, that is changing, supposedly, and we're doing a much better job now manufacturing cars again in, in this country. But just because something's made in China doesn't mean... It's inherently bad either. It doesn't mm. mean that it was made with uh, slave labor. It doesn't mean that it was it, it was made with inferior uh, quality products. There is it's more likely to be in many cases, but it doesn't mean just because X then Y. And and so it's about being more deliberate with the you know, the fashion or whatever else we have the the sustainable things. But just because you're buying something that is sustainable. Doesn't mean that if we buy 400 of the sustainable thing, that that is in and of itself sustainable. Right. Buying one less sustainable thing is better than buying dozens of the supposedly sustainable things that that um, uh, affect our our environment in a different way. So, yeah, I think it's just really about bringing things into our life in a more in, intentional way. And here's the cool thing about it: the shirt that I'm wearing right now, it's a, a fairly expensive T-shirt if you buy it brand new. But I get almost all of my clothes on eBay used. And so someone else used it gently for a while or maybe decided they didn't want it or whatever. And and you can do that at local thrift shop as well. Uh, we have a couple around here that, that are pretty decent. Uh, and so you you can do that with without needing to create more waste. You can take someone else's waste and 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 reuse it, which mm. is which is pretty nice. Yeah, definitely. You know, the true cost is a great documentary and I would recommend that it Anyone who is a consumer, which is all three of us sitting in this room for sure, we all consume some things. We we have to, right? Um, so uh, yeah, if 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 uh, you want to learn more about uh, what your consumption is costing the rest of the world, then then watch the True Cost. It will it will totally open up your eyes to uh, to a new perspective on consumption for sure. I'm going to talk about at least one more thing on my list, and I'll give you the rest of, of these, and, and we can still talk about more. There's a documentary. It's on Netflix now. It's called Hot Girls Wanted. Oh, I tried to watch it. I couldn't watch it, man. Really? It was yeah. like too disturbing. Did it? Uh, did it, it was hit too close to home because of uh, because you <laughs> because I used to be a were once an 18 year old girl who was in the porn industry who needed attention. No, it was. Uh, I just didn't like the way it was done, and it, it's not even like it, honestly, it just didn't. Um, it just didn't keep me engaged. I guess ah. it, it was just like well, I guess because I've already seen, um, I've already seen kind of the same type of documentaries. Okay, um, I have a friend uh, who dates a porn star, which I will not name here on the air. Sure. Um, so we like, both have the same friend, but yes, yes. yes. <laughs> um, but. Uh, uh, but yeah, I guess it just wasn't it, it wasn't too engaging. But what did you think about it? Well, I I just found I didn't realize how exploitive that industry is now with with how ubiquitous it is. So you and I used to work in telecom, and at one point 
part of our, the telecom company that that we worked for, there was an internet division, right? And and so the stat that amazed me, and this is back in the oddies, uh, mid oddies, I guess. Seventy one percent of our traffic of our bandwidth used was used for porn. Yeah. So that shows you how in demand this product is. Yeah. And because it's in so demand, so in so much demand, uh, there also seems to be this weird endless supply of new porn stars. Oh yeah. Uh, of young women who are who are exploited, and and exploited. I mean, I'm okay. Like with our friend who has a his his. I don't know. Are they married yet? They might so. be his girlfriend that he lives with. They've been together for a long time. Yeah. They have, they're a regular family who just his wife happens to work in the porn industry, right. basically, right? Yeah, and and that's her job, and that's great. I, I'm I'm fine with that if that's what you want to do. It's not my role to judge what you're doing. Obviously, where it becomes problematic is with this this documentary. These aren't girls who are getting into the porn industry. These are girls who are going to get used for one to four months mm-hmm. and make very little money and and uh, effectively less than minimum wage. And and now for the rest of their lives, they have this you know, dozens of, of porn videos out there of them that they're going to, in many cases, going to feel bad about sure. because they were coerced into it. Yeah. They didn't get to make that decision intentionally. Yeah. And and they they, they saw the bright lights and the yeah, lam- I mean, Lamborghinis. How does it start out? It starts off with an ad, Hot Girls Wanted, right? Right. And then the girl shows up and they're like, hey, how would you like to make 1000 to $5,000 a day? And then yeah. it kind of turns into this like porn adver- advertising. But yeah, yeah I guess... Yeah, they're definitely exploited. I, I don't want to say. I mean, pornography in general, in general, is is a is a I think a very harmful. Uh, it can be a very harmful thing um, with yeah. addiction and uh, especially the access now. Like, I mean, you know, you don't have to uh, have a you know have a driver's license that proves you're 18 to buy pornography now. I mean, mm-hmm. now you can just go online and get it. Yeah, and and kids. We were just talking about this before we started recording. Uh, there are little kids now who you know, have accidental access to to porn it's it it is so ubiquitous i don't think by the way i just want to be clear to me there's nothing inherently wrong with porn just like there's nothing inherently wrong with alcohol or 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 whatever else you you can get addicted i don't drink alcohol because i would become addicted to it yeah yeah no no it is certainly something that like this movie um hot girls wanted or not this movie but this documentary um i saw a documentary about the movie um, or maybe it was like a series of interviews, but uh, the movie Deep Throat, yeah, yeah, and how um, it exploited a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of people in that movie as well. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, it, it can certainly, uh, it can certainly be a very, very bad thing for for some people who are exploited. But yeah, I agree with you. Like, there's nothing inherently wrong with pornography, um, but yes, taken to the extreme when when there are. Uh, when there are people being manipulated, yes. When there are people being lied to, uh-huh. uh, when consent is not involved, like that is when it can become oh. very, very harmful. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that that one at least it opened my eyes to to how this industry has turned into. Like you always expected the porn industry to be somewhat sleazy. They're sort of the caricatures of like yeah. the fat guy smoking the cigar with a gold chain, and but it's worse than that. 
it's not the fat guy with a cigar. It's a bunch of 22-year-old guys, 25-year-old guys manipulating 18-year-old girls. Mm -hmm. And it's just so pernicious. And so I think we need to be careful. And if we are consuming that kind of pornography then we are in a weird way contributing to it as well. Entertainment, yeah. Either directly or indirectly. It's definitely something to think about for sure. Um, What else you got on your list? Let's see if we can compare. Uh, Oh, uh, Fed Up for sure. That's on my list too. Yeah, Fed Up. Let's talk about that. Well, Fed Up just... I mean, I don't want to like go on for a three-hour podcast just talking about documentaries, but I could could talk for an hour about Fed Up. But uh, just to sum it up, if you are someone who is very addicted to sugar watch fed up and it will change your perspective on how you consume sugar uh sugar is killing us like sugar is sugar is the number one reason um that we have uh diabetes why we have dude there was no there's no need for a dentist before refined sugar <laughs> isn't that amazing yeah like i because i always wonder i'd look this up because i'm like what do they do did, pe- did people just not have teeth by the time you know like ten thousand years ago did you know neanderthals just not have teeth by the right. time they got older and in some cases that's true yeah um, when they when they but, chew, chew on those like the 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 sugar cane directly or whatever then yeah you would lose your teeth sure but but by and large um they actually didn't have that many dental problems uh-huh. until refined sugar came about. Yeah, and now which I we, don't know if that's in the documentary or not. But what we 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 what's it? Fluorinate. We fluorinate our water in in many, uh, many. I mean, growing up in in Dayton, yeah. and probably when you were in Florida too, they fluorinate the water. They put fluoride in the water. Yeah, that's such a weird thing. Instead of saying we need to stop eating sugar. <laughs> They say, we're going to put this poisonous chemical into your water. And you'll hear people say it's an essential chemical. Yeah, it's an essential chemical for chlorine. It's not essential chemical to put into our water. Thankfully, you and I live in a community now that doesn't fluorinate their water. Right. And and I'm, I'm glad for that. It means I can drink water right out of the tap without drinking fluoride. Right. Because what we're trying to do is, instead of saying, hey, we need to stop eating so much sugar, it's like, no, we can fix that with some some chlorine in your water, basically. Yeah, I mean, after watching that movie, it just blows my mind. Although I did see something recently where this might be changed, but uh, after watching this movie, it just blows my mind how we don't, like, if you have, like, a food product, a prepackaged food product, or even a drink in front of you right now, you're listening to this, look at the back. You'll see sugar. But you will not see a percentage next to the sugar. Uh, like it has your daily percentage of fat. It has your daily percentage of calories. It has your daily percentage of vitamin C, so forth and so on. These are all on the labels. That percentage, that daily percentage of sugar is not on there for a reason. Yes. And it's not because the government wants to uh, help you. <laughs> it's because there are lobbyists keeping that percentage off of there. I, ju- I did just see recently, within the last month or two, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is potentially going to change. Yeah, but just to give no, you- it, it, it well, it changed in in one respect already. Uh, How's so, that? So the FDA uh, and uh, Becca, my partner, is a dietitian. She just wrote a a blog post about sugar, in particular. Uh, her blog is minimalwellness.com, but she she runs a, a private practice and uh, has worked at the university for the last ten years or so, and really helps people with 
with obesity, but also anorexia and, and just overall dietary changes. And I think it stems from awareness. And what you're saying is that lobbyists are preventing us from being aware right. of what we're consuming. Think about, I used to drink 8 to 10 Coca-Colas a day. What is an average soda? 35 grams of sugar? 38 grams of sugar? Yeah, I, you might want to check look that out. Yeah, look it up. But but with, with the sugar, so the FDA is recommending, what, 50 grams of sugar, which is... No, uh, Th- 35 for a male. Well, I think the FDA is saying that fi- that 50 is... Should is be the, the daily limit? Is the new oh. acceptable limit. I just remember in Fed Up, it was like 35 for a male <laughs> and like 27 for a female. Yeah, it, well, Becca wrote about, and she uses some, some I think, CDC... Uh, links and some studies to uh, talk about sugar, but yeah, we probably should have half of that. You know, twenty five in a day, and, and really, it's forty close grams of sugar, dude, for one, one can of coke. One can of coke. So, so I was having four hundred grams of sugar, of sugar a day just from coke. That didn't count all the other crap, delicious but, Snickers, and yeah. Oh my god, man! I I likely have close to zero other than fructose mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, like natural fruit yeah you're i'll have i'll have natural sugar do you do like the laura bars like with the dates and I stuff i don't do bars at all okay none um and and the reason i i don't is twofold one is there's just too much hidden sugar in them yeah and even the ones that are supposedly healthy but two i avoid packaged foods altogether yeah. i mean if i were to to go back to the health side of things again that's why i'm i'm taking a, a, a break from power why we're taking a break from podcasting is I'm working on some health stuff and I've been meeting with a food scientist. I've been meeting with uh, some medical doctors to deal with uh, some adrenal fatigue that I have. And we are getting, I mean, I have a better diet than 98% of people in, in this country, but, but I need to get it to the hundred percent, like where it's just the best there is. And, and so I'm doing, yeah, I'm, I'm really getting down to laser focused on zero sugars and, and uh, almost zero fructose, but oh, wow. uh, and no no milk sugars. So I don't do any any dairy, right. any uh, lactose. It's crazy how much sugars in milk. That's I didn't amazing. even realize yeah. that, man. It's 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 almost straight sugar. It's unbelievable. Yeah, uh, butter like like no like there's no added sugar to milk. Like it's just naturally there. It's nuts. Yeah, right, right, yeah. exactly. Without added sugar, and, and butter is appreciably better because it's lactose sure. free and it's high in fat. So my diet now is is much higher in fat. We'll do a separate episode on on reporting back to you all on how things are going. Uh, a lot of you have been asking about my health on uh, Twitter and and uh, other places. Uh, here's what I'll tell you: I'm I'm doing a lot better, and there's a bunch of reasons for that. I'm I'm changing where I'm I'm living because I've had some chemical sensitivities. And I'll report back to all of you on that. Also, I'm doing so much studying and reading and listening to other podcasts. If you want to see what I'm reading and studying, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly putting it up on Twitter at The Minimalist account. So uh, The Minimalist, no, I'm sorry, it's twitter.com slash The Minimalist. You can see the different podcasts and articles and stuff that I'm reading. And I'll tweet those out occasionally if I, if I find value in it. But you're right, Ryan, this, this documentary fed up. I never looked at sugar the same way after watching that. I... I, and I, I don't think I ever will. Uh, and if you want to check out uh, Becca's article on sugar, I think, Sean, you can probably put it in, in the show notes as well. Um, I'm going to go through a, a quick lightning round, Ryan. Of, go for it. Let me tell, me if you, tell me if you've seen any of these. Have you seen Citizen Four? Nope. So that's the Edward Snowden documentary. Oh, I've been meaning to see that. What I loved about it. Is it on about HBO it, or is it on? I don't know where it's at. Oh. I think I saw it on iTunes. But uh, what I loved about it is it, it goes from this, 
timid programmer to Edward Snowden, who we know today. And you get to see this glimpse of, of this guy who was somewhat just being altruistic. Like he wanted to help. He was being patriotic in a way. Yeah. Um, and that word's kind of loaded, so take it for what it's worth. Welcome to Leith. No. Yeah, I watched it at South by Southwest last year, and it's this white supremacist moves to a town in North Dakota and tries to take over the town and start his own white supremacist community there. And it really exposes the idiocy, but also it's a little bit terrifying to see how you can infiltrate an entire town and create your own Oh, so this isn't isn't like about the town not letting it happen as much as him actually going in there and taking it over. It's about both and the struggle between Uh, the two. Yeah, Amy? Have you seen Amy? No. So Amy Winehouse documentary. Oh, yeah, we saw that together, the Roxy. That's right. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. It uses all, all just footage of of her life and it's a portrait of it was amazing man. talent in a downward spiral well it's funny because the media portrayed her as this like drug addict spoiled brat which she was to a large extent but that documentary like it just showed you why she became that she is yeah, she grew it's, up she grew up poor and then got this bit of fame but then also was surrounded by people who enabled that they well, they just like they just sucked every bit of resource from her Yes. And I got to tell you, man, if like my friends and family were sucking every bit of resource from me, like one or two things has to happen, right? You got to let them all go Uh or you just let it happen. Yeah. And unfortunately, she let it happen. Yeah. And it's, you know, to let it go is like such an easier thing, uh, you know, thing said than done. But, but yeah, I won't, I won't go any more into it since this is a lightning round. But yeah, no, Amy is a great documentary. I totally agree. In that same vein, I also saw, uh, uh, and this is probably, that's probably the wrong the wrong term to use for this in the same vein. Uh, Kurt Cobain, his his documentary um, called Montage of Heck. I, I saw that at that. South by Southwest last year as well. Pretty good, and it was it was great. Yeah, I really dug it. And man, you you get a different feeling for what his life was like as a heroin addict. It was there's a lot of footage of them. Yeah, doping off with their baby there with him. It was just it was sad. It was really sad. Wow. Uh, really quick, the act of killing, which is Joshua Oppenheimer's. I don't even know how to describe it. I will just tell you to see the act of killing. Okay, it's unlike any other documentary I've ever seen. Okay, Grizzly Man to me, <laughs> oh, is yeah, a comedy dude, classic. I mean, my uh, God. Dude, I... <laughs> It's a comedy, but it's really tragic. Though. It's a tragic comedy. Yeah. It really is. Uh, last two. Uh, no, we already said fed up. So last one. Save the funniest for last. Uh, any of the Jackass documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> Jackass number two. Oh Do you remember God. the scene where where I think it just I think it was Jackass number two. I don't remember which one it is, but where it just opens up. There's this fan that is spinning. Oh yeah, it's Jackass spinning. too. And spinning, all of a sudden you just see Steve O crash into it. Into it. God, that mean, is, that's a good documentary. Those are good documentaries for the all the wrong reasons as yeah, well. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, when it's all it's all you know, guys who are, do, are doing these crazy stunts because that's what they want to do, and uh, it's so absurd. You have to give yourself permission to just spend an hour and a half, half pacifying yourself. But if you want a really good laugh and you're prepared to watch people harm themselves, it's. Yeah. It's if you don't, funny. if you don't, it, you know, like that's makes that stuff makes Mariah cringe. So mm-hmm. I haven't like really watched any. Like the last time I saw Jackass was like I was in the corporate world when I had saw Jackass. I think Jackass three came out when 
Uh, and like I had watched that like when we had started the documentary, but like it just, I don't know, it just didn't do it for me like it used to. Well, most, yeah. <laughs> most trilogies, <laughs> let alone the Jackass trilogy. Yeah. You just, uh, don't turn out great. It's but, like Godfather three and Jackass three. Right. Right. Yeah. But, uh, if, if you, if that stuff makes you cringe, there's actually a, a documentary out there and they, uh, Travis Pastrana has probably done a couple, but it's called Nitro Circus. So these guys do, it's, it's very much jackass where they do crazy things, but it's like stunts. So they're like, it's really fun. It's not like, hey, let's see how much this guy can hurt himself as much as let's see how big we can do this jump, how many flips we can do it without this guy hurting himself. Mm. And um, they set up, they, they have like a nice, um, you know, like they have foam pits and stuff that they set up and like practice stuff beforehand. Um, but it's yeah, that's really that's a lot of fun to watch too. I, I guess the only it. thing I would add to this man is um, there's a documentary called Plant Pure Nation, and it's just a really interesting documentary about essentially like how a, a plant based food diet can be really really healthy, um, but then it also goes through these dudes in Kentucky who are trying to get a bill passed to basically say like hey. We need we need to focus on a more plant based diet, not as much meat, mm-hmm. and it just goes through kind of their struggle to get this you know bill on the table, and then it finally does go to I don't know what is it House Con- I don't know how does a bill become a law, Josh? <laughs> Sean, I do not want you to paste in here. No, do not paste that in. <laughs> how a bill becomes a law. a law, but regardless, like it goes through them trying to get this passed, and it's a really interesting story, and and again, it just speaks to how. Our government is so focused on money and, and not people. Um, and it just kind of, you know, puts a spotlight on that. Didn't you say you saw the new Michael Moore documentary? Oh, that was great, man. How to Invade Next. I don't know why I didn't bring that up. Yeah, that's Where great. to Invade Next, right? Oh, yeah. Where to, how to Invade Next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Where to Invade Next. I haven't seen it yet. It was good. It was good. I mean, he basically goes through and shows how, you know, in France, hey, look, they have, look at these labor laws they have in France. Like, people aren't working themselves to death, and here's why. And then they go to, you know, like Denmark. Hey, look at the schooling system here. Uh, they don't have this standardized testing, and look how well all this stuff works for them. So he just basically goes to each country and takes an ingredient from the country mm-hmm. and puts a spotlight on it, like education, uh, like um, labor laws. Right. And he just shows how the United States is so far behind with... with uh, with these progressive um, things that other countries are doing that's making the country better. The United States is so far ahead in, in many respects. And yeah. I, I think the, the, the approach I don't like from, from Michael Moore is he, he often tends to just sort of crap on our country in, in a way. That, yeah. Cause like, yeah. Cause I love living in the United States. Right. Man. Like, right. don't get me wrong. Like this, if I could live in any country, it'd be here. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, and I love going to other places, but it also makes me appreciate uh, the fact that we live here. I think the, the if you're going to watch something like that, and I'll certainly watch a documentary, the thing to learn is that the, we're definitely not a perfect country. We're very far from perfect, and right. so you can learn something from Denmark. You can learn from France. You can learn from South Africa. You can learn from Australia. You can learn from China and Japan. There are all these places where you can get something from their recipe Mm -hmm. and infuse it into your culture and over time make your culture better as a result. It's just like having a bunch of different labs out there in the world. All these countries can act as different labs Mm -hmm. and if we take the results, the positive results from each of these and make where we are better, that doesn't hurt our culture. It just improves upon it and and changes the things that that are certainly bad within our culture. 
So we're still taking a, a break from from podcasting. Other podcasts I'd recommend listening to in, in the meantime. First off, you can go back and listen to to all of our podcasts, all thirty episodes. There's over thirty hours of of content and a- answering questions and goofing off on on thirty episodes of podcasts. You can also go back and listen to all of our books on audiobook if that's if that's your thing. Uh, they're relatively inexpensive. Obviously, all of our podcasts are free. Also, we have over 500 blog posts and essays over at theminimalists.com. A good place to start there is theminimalists.com slash start. We have all kinds of resources, free resources there. Also, you can check out our first TEDx talk. And you can also uh, check out a bunch of other podcasts that, that we like. Uh, our friend Colin Wright has a podcast, which I've really been digging. It's called Let's Know Things. And he does a good job of, he's inquisitive. And so he wants to learn new things. And so he takes you on a journey of knowing new things together. And, and it's not trivia so much as it is a, a deep dive into a particular topic. So the, the one that we had on our podcast, he was talking about suburbia. I've heard him talk about gray zones, gray areas, and politics. And he does a good job of covering both sides of most issues without giving you a definitive answer, helping you formulate your own opinion, which is nice. Also, our friends uh, Jessica and Melissa over at the Mind Palace, they talk about minimalism and, and what it means to live a well-curated life. Uh, I really dig those two. Uh, our friends over at the Optimal Living Daily podcast, uh, Justin is is reading a bunch of essays from our website and a bunch of other places. So if you want to hear more audio, uh, he does a bunch of minimalism essays and and uh, Derek Sivers essays. He just does a bunch of really great content out there. Optimal Living Daily podcast. Also, I've been getting a ton of value recently. I'll, I'll end on this one from Ben Greenfield. He interviews a bunch of doctors and scientists, nutritionists, and, and covers a, a whole bunch of different areas. Uh, of he, he lives out in Spokane. I've, no, I've never met the guy, but uh, he was voted the, the number one personal trainer in America, uh, I think a few years in a row. But he has a great podcast. It really dives deep into the science behind nutrition and fitness, and it's helped me out a lot. And he's, he's, you know, what they, I guess, would call biohacker, like, like really goes into different gadgets to help with sleep. And, and uh, so I've been tweeting about that recently. I just got a new, new book on sleep as well. So you, you've heard some of those, those episodes too, Ryan. But uh, that's definitely a podcast to, to check out if, if you're interested in that. Oh, is that the British dude? Uh, no, but he was he, the British dude, Chris Kelly, who I'm working with oh, okay. uh, on a lot of my health stuff. He was on Ben Green, Ben Greenfield's gotcha. podcast. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, you can check out a bunch of episodes of, of Ben Greenfield. He's, he's got a lot of just, if you have any health questions, you want to live your most optimal self, uh, health wise, health, sleep, fitness, diet, he covers it all and biohacks in general and does so in a way I will warn you. Um, I think his theme song is a little bit cheesy. Like it's just very high energy, kind of like how Tim Ferriss is, is is a little like. What is it? Welcome to the jungle. No, no, no. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but other than that, if you can get past that that initial like little theme song or whatever, it's a great podcast. I man, I I just I've gotten so much value. I've gone back to the archives, listened to to a whole lot. And of course, you can spend some time uh, watching our documentary. It's uh, someone on Twitter today said, what's it about? 
And I said, it's about 79 minutes long. That's awesome. And uh, But of course, there's six hours of, of bonus content. Let's leave them with that. We're going to include one quick excerpt from the film here to, to round out the episode. And in this clip from the documentary, you're going to hear A.J. Leon talk about really his ascent and then descent up and down the, the corporate ladder and the descent down toward living a, a more intentional life. How do you win? You win by the traditional monikers of success. You win by how many zeros are at the end of your paycheck. I remember I was sitting you know, in a Barnes and Nobles and I was deciding what major I would study and all I was doing was leafing through this book. It was a book that showed degree versus earning potential over time. And that's when I zeroed in on finance and accounting. My entire life became about uh, winning with a capital W. My entire life became about being the guy that would be respected. Had a series of vertical leaps through my 20s, which landed me to this place in 2008. I'm making a ridiculous six-figure salary. I've got a corner office. And on December 31st, 2007, my boss calls me into his office, and he tells me that I'm getting a promotion. And this was it. This was the game changer. This was me being a junior partner in this firm. And, Everything that I had ever worked for um, was going to be handed to me right then and there. You know, in, in banking terms, I was minted. And, and I remember just hearing this man say that, and it was just a really bizarre kind of um, ethereal moment where I was like watching this happen, you know, it was almost. And I walked out of his office and I, and I walked back into my own and, and I just closed the door behind me and I just started weeping because um, I realized that I was completely and utterly trapped and that I would never be able to walk away from that amount of money ever in my life. And any dream that I had of living a life of purpose and meaning and, and, and being an adventurer and somebody that would actually take risks and, and live a life that's deliberate and intentional, those were gone. When you see your life scripted out and you recognize that this is not, this is not anything I want. Why am I doing this? This guy that's handing me this, I don't want to be him. I don't envy his life. You know, maybe this was never for me to begin with. And maybe if I don't leave right now, I'm going to be that dude for the rest of my life. And I just took the elevator down 28 stories and that was it. And ever since then, I decided that this life was going to be mine and it was going to be wildly, flamboyantly my life, yes. you know? Okay, y'all, I think that's it for this episode. I really hope you enjoyed that clip from the film. If you enjoy the film, please share it on social media. We'd love to see a screenshot of, of your favorite. This is a, an idea from Jessica, by the way, our, uh, a really good friend of ours who does the Mind Palace podcast. But she also helps with some social media stuff with us. She finds some great articles for us. She, she recommended that we, we take a photo or have people do a screenshot of their favorite scene from the documentary. And so I'd love to see that. Just use the hashtag minimalismfilm on social media. We'll share some of our favorites. And, uh, of course, we'll pick a few people as well. You can get a copy of our favorite book, which is called Everything That Remains. We'll send you an autographed copy of that to some of our, our favorite folks there on social media. As always, if you leave here with one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks so much, y'all. See you next time.
Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Every little thing that you gotta have, every little thing that you gotta have, you gotta reach for and you gotta grab. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. So tear your eyes away, or tear. 